<laughs> not due for seven weeks, someone said. There's a person who really did well at school. I can, t- I can, I can hear, hear that right now. A person who worked right to a deadline. C minus average. You did better than me. It's amazing, isn't it? I didn't pass year 11, but I got into the police department. Oh. What does that say? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the good news today. I thank you for um, your spirit talking to us and and helping us and bringing transformation. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in and through us and in our community through these wonderful people. I pray by your spirit that you'd help us to see another facet of your desire to reach out to the people in and around about us in such a way that we have the courage and the boldness to speak up at the right time because we started to build relationship with people and connected with them in a much deeper way. Father, I ask you to to take this message and to plant it in your people's hearts in a way that we can say, you know what, I can do this. So, Father, I thank you for the power of your word, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Tool Time. This is the final... uh, part of this series called It's Tool Time, um, and it's based out of a, a, a book that uh, I read and really impacted me in such a very big way that I felt that uh, I needed to share the, the concepts in the book with uh, you, the church, and that book was called The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations by Mary Shirley, uh, Shelley, or whatever. Um, it's just a really good book. Um, And it comes as a result of wanting to be able to live up to uh, Peter's encouragement to us. In the Bible it says in 1 Peter 3.15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But he also goes on then to say, But do it with gentleness and respect. And I think that, you know... A lot of people, when you start to think about how we do evangelism or we reach out to the community or the people in and around about us, that uh, we think of evangelism as something that we've got to be in people's faces, we've got to be confrontational in the style that we do it, we've got to get ourselves a soapbox and stand at the end of Rundle Mall and preach to people and telling them that they're going to hell unless they come to Jesus. Now, there's an element of truth to that, but there's no love that's involved in it either. And I think that you know, when we start to talk to people, there's got to be this element of, of, of treating people with gentleness and respect, that we actually do uh, evangelism or we, we, we convey the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that it's attractive to people. It's something that they'd like to go on to. We're not going to scare them into heaven, but we're going to actually love them into heaven. And I think there's a massive difference between the way that we do that. So this this series has been designed with a view to actually giving us the wisdom that we need to be able to have a conversation with someone who may live or believe different from how we are in life as well. And I brought a couple of uh, tools that I use to reach out to my community. And contrary to popular opinion, these 
running shoes and these shorts and these t-shirts don't smell. <laughs> By the way, I have a nose operation in a couple of weeks, so that should be fixed shortly. <laughs> so, let's launch. I've used a number of different tools and had a number of different tools up the front here to try and demonstrate the abundance of tools that we all have available for doing specific tasks. And when we start to think about the tools that we have at our disposal, the things that you have at your disposal, the things that I have at my disposal, we can start to see that maybe God can use these tools in such a way to build relationship with people. I've had toolboxes out here. Uh, one of the ways that you could do use that toolbox to build relationship with the people around about you is if that you have a mechanical gift, you understand how things are put together, and uh, you can take stuff apart and put it back together. It's really helpful. Um, you can use tools to help service your neighbor's car, fix a lawnmower, do some general maintenance around the home. Those sorts of things can be a great tool to reach out to the family and friends and the community in which we live. I've used a sofa out here. I've used things of hospitality. I've had bowls, mugs. I've had uh, bowls of chocolate out here. I've had a pen and an, uh, an eraser and a pencil. All of these things and so many more things we can use as a tool to reach out to the people that uh, we're living in and around who may be believe things different from how we believe and live different from how we live. And I think that we've got to understand that these people who, who do live differently and who do believe differently are still people that God loves. And God's got us in their world with a view to building a bridge, not a barrier. Oh, I thought so too. <clears throat> See, this whole, whole series has been about giving us tools, practical tools, simple tools to be able to reach out to the people in and around about us. You don't have to reinvent the wheel or be a rocket scientist to use these tools. They are simple in their outworking and their application in the way that we, we reach out to the people in, in and around about us. They are so simple for building uh, relationships around about us. But just because they're simple... It doesn't mean that they're powerless. They are powerful for reaching the people in and around about us. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it say it's not powerful. The gospel is simple, but it's powerful. I might preach over this side for a minute. <laughs> it, the, the gospel is simple, church, but it's powerful. It really is. And if we can grasp this, I mean, how many things are simple in life? If you can get uh, the, the mechanics of a golf swing down, it's a simple thing to do, but it's a powerful thing when you get your timing right and you launch the sucker down the drive of the fairway. <laughs> Is that right? Okay. When you get a fishing rig set, set up like a paternoster rig, which is simply a, a, a sinker with a bit of a leader down the bottom, you've got your, uh, sorry, you've got your swivel, then you've got your, your sinker down the bottom and you've got some hooks running off it. That's a paternoster rig. That's a simple rig, but when you put the right bait on it, it's a powerful thing to catch fish. Ask everybody else, not me, because I don't catch fish. When you get the mechanics down of a, of a footy kick, it's a simple thing, but it's powerful when you connect with it and you launch the ball and you hit a, a teammate in the chest and they mark it. Isn't that not right? They're simple things, but they're powerful when we apply them right. And that's the whole 
premise and idea behind this series. Today we're going to look at the final tool that we're going to see in this series. And it's simply sharing our faith. All the other eight tools that I've talked about have worked towards this point. We've talked about noticing about praying, loving others, about asking good questions. We've talked about facilitating and hospitality. We've we've talked about uh, uh, serving together with other people, praying for people and things of that nature. All of those things have preceded the moment when we start to share our faith with others. All of these things have, have been working towards helping us to just share our faith. Have a watch of the video. These Christians decided it was better to obey God rather than men. They literally could not help speak in the name of Jesus, no matter what the cost. When's the last time an American Christian could say that? Probably not anytime either. People who study the church now estimate that 97% of followers of Jesus have never let anyone be crushed. That's a sad number. It doesn't surprise me. What is it with us? How do we become so impassioned about sharing our faith with others? Is it fear? Apathy? Lack of concern? Do our hearts even break for those people who are lost? Or do we just not care? Christians today seem so different than the Christians I read about in the Bible. There are all kinds of people in the Bible who are so amazed at what Jesus has done for them that they can't help but tell someone about it. Maybe the problem is we're just not all that sold out from the Christian way of life. Do we really believe that sharing our faith is sharing something amazing and valuable? One night I had to call a plumber in for a late night sink problem. So the knock came on the door, and there stood the plumber, a lady plumber. Her name was Agnes. She came storming into my house, under my sink, fixes the problem. She's wiping the sludge off of her arms, writing my bill. And I just had to ask Agnes, How'd you become a plumber? I've never seen a lady plumber in my whole life. Sir, I was born to be a plumber. Then she wanted to tell me all the reasons why plumbing is the best way to live your life. Agnes was sold out for plumbing. When you believe in something, when it means everything to you, when it makes your life so much better, you want to tell someone about it. I have Christian friends all the time who tell me about their favorite restaurant the most amazing vacation they've been on, their favorite sports team. They're so passionate about these things, they want me to feel some of that passion too. But these same Christians are shy about sharing their faith. I can only conclude that we aren't that excited about Jesus' life-saving offer. Or maybe we're just not sold out that Jesus' way is the best way. Whatever the reason, most of us would rather share our belief greatest burger we've ever had than share our faith with Jesus. I remember the first time I led someone to Christ. It was a girl in my youth group. She had grown up in the church and had recently made her profession of faith, which meant that she had stood in front of the church and answered a bunch of yes and no questions. Her parents were thrilled, her grandparents were beaming, 
And then she came to my office a few weeks later and, and kind of wondered what in the world she had done. That's when we talked about the difference between religion and following Jesus. I told her about my relationship with Jesus and how it made a difference in my life. And then she bowed her head and I helped her invite Jesus into her life. You're probably not a youth pastor. You probably don't have high school students seeking you out to ask you questions about your faith. So you probably think this story doesn't apply to you. Well, I disagree. I think it applies perfectly. This conversation didn't just happen out of nowhere. Over months and months, I had built a relationship with this girl through our youth group. I welcomed her, listened to her, wrestled with difficult questions, served together with her. And when she was ready, she trusted me enough to ask me about my relationship with God. Now she's 30, and her life is so different because she's following Jesus. I think we spent enough time talking about what's wrong with the church. Now it's time to get something right. And this is how we can start. By noticing those who need to be noticed. Welcoming them in. Wrestling with difficult questions alongside them. Serving them. Helping them to experience God's love in a tangible way. And with this foundation laid, we can ultimately share our faith with them. Inviting them to experience the amazing gift of life in Christ. It's not easy. Sharing your faith doesn't happen in an afternoon. Or a day. Or a week. Not really anyway. It means committing your time and energy and love and life to another person. Knowing that you have something very important to give. Jesus asks nothing less of us. Are you passionate enough about him to say yes? A powerful challenge, isn't it? It's a powerful challenge. I know that that's true of my life. You know, I can be quite excited about the English Premier League and Manchester United. There is no other team as far as I'm concerned, but I can be quite passionate about that. There are a number of things I can be passionate about. But am I passionate about my faith? Do I take opportunities when they are presented to me to be able to share my faith and the reason I have a hope in Christ? And that's the whole premise of this series. is to actually put tools into our hands that enable us to have a confidence that we could share our faith when that moment arrives. And you'll know it because you know, like your heart's beating like a big bass drum in your chest and you're thinking, is this the time? Is this the moment I need to, to say something about what to do on a Sunday or uh, how I spent my morning just reading the Bible that morning or how I was, you know, what, what, how come my, my neighbor, as I've gone to visit them there or the, the relative or whatever, and you've rocked up in your car in their driveway and they see you like, look, you, you look like you're singing when you arrive. What were you doing? <laughs> I was worshiping. How do you say that in a way that just builds relationship and that gives you the confidence to share your faith? So this message is all about sharing our faith. Bill Heibel says that uh, to really believe in the redeeming and transforming power of God's presence in a person's life, then the single greatest gift that you can give someone is an explanation of how to be rightly connected to him. It's a great statement. See, love for others is our motivation for sharing the gospel. 
It's not about getting a, another notch on our gun or another notch on our Bible to say we got someone else saved. I wish I had those things like I can do that, but I don't. We need to understand that simply the motivation is because we love them. And like the guy said in the video, it, it's estimated that you know, 97% of people won't lead someone to Christ or haven't led someone to Christ. Another statistic says that uh, uh, 90% of surveyed believers say that they came to Christ through a friend or a relative who invested in a relationship with them. And that's what this series is all about, is helping to build relationships. Take a moment. How did you come to Christ? Was it through a friend or a relative or some other avenue? I would suggest that primarily the the majority of us could say that it's because of a friend or a relative that we've become Christians. We need to share our faith in Jesus out of a genuine love and concern for those that we're with, not based on our own agenda or a sense of obligation of having to share the gospel. Just shift it a little bit. I actually get to share the gospel. I actually have an opportunity to get to share the gospel. We get to share it and the message that's behind it. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 to 4 says, Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. We're introducing people to Jesus because he alone is real life, a meaningful life, a hope-filled life, now and for eternity. Secondly, sharing Jesus meets people's deepest needs. We share because we really believe that the gospel has met our deepest need and will meet everyone else's deepest need as well. Luke 2.10, and I shared this a little bit during the service, the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. What is this good news, this gospel that we talk about? The good news is that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that Jesus is Lord of all things. This defines the Christian faith. It defines it. But the good news isn't just knowing these things. It's actually responding to and accepting for ourselves what Christ has done. That's the good news. That's the gospel. The gospel is the incredible message that God has provided a way to be in relationship with him now and always through Jesus and that all things will be brought under the sovereign authority of our good God. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that uh, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. This, this, This syndrome called the phantom limb syndrome. It occurs to people who've had an amputation of some form. So people with this condition actually experience sensations in their missing limb as though it was still attached. This often includes pain. So where a person has uh, had a finger removed or an arm, leg, whatever, they find that there's still sensations that are attached with something that is no longer there. In a similar way, when we come into a relationship with God, our souls experience the pain of something that is missing from our lives. 
whether consciously or subconsciously, we are sensing not just the absence of a limb, but the absence of life as it's intended to be. Anything we might use to try and fill that emptiness will fail because until we are united with God, we simply aren't whole. There is something missing and all of creation knows that, in particular people. Only Jesus can fill the void, the emptiness, the loneliness that's inside the human heart. The thing we need to understand about sharing our faith is this. God is worth knowing. God is worth knowing. Like Agnes the plumber. (laughs) Plumbing's worth knowing and getting involved in for Agnes. But for you and I, it's about God. God's worth knowing. Oh, come on, church. Wake up. God is God worth knowing or not? If if he's not, why are you here? I'll rein back the frustration on that bit. <laughs> Holidays, seven weeks, it's okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. God's presence is something we cherish and want to give away. We've experienced the value of forgiveness, of a new life, of having God a part of every moment. We found the pearl of great price and the beauty and value of who he is dictates to us or it says to us, I want to share this pearl of great price with the people around about me. In 1 John 1 verse 1, it says, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. See, notice John, this, this makes, what makes this... Notice what makes John a witness. He's heard, he's seen, he's looked and he's touched Jesus. And so he proclaims the word of life. He's had a personal connection with God Almighty. And that personal connection has said to him, I've got to share this. I've got to share this. If our witness is only a theological presentation or some memorized stuff that we've learned, then we really aren't witnesses. We are simply parrots who are repeating something that we've heard but not experienced. Sila, pause, ponder, think. In his book, Just Walk Across the Room, Bill Hybels urges Christians to take the first steps to walk across the room and initiate a conversation with people they might, not, they might not ordinarily speak to. He says this, he says this, In my experience, the people who find themselves taking walks across rooms have first landed on the belief that the God they know is worth knowing. Is the God that you know worth knowing? Is the one that you serve and the one that you worship, the one that you are drawn to on a Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, 
Is he the God that you find is worth knowing? What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about that then? If he's worth knowing, then I cannot remain silent anymore. But I've got to be talking about him in a way that is gentle and respectful, that is with wisdom, that I don't drag my soapbox out and start telling people. You know what I mean? So witnesses have had an experience that they can share. In Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20, we see the story where Jesus heals a man who's been, uh, you know, had a legion of demons inside of him. And then he tells this guy, this, le- this, this guy who's, who's just here, he says, Go to your own people and tell them how much God has done for you and how he's shown mercy on you. This man has then gone to his, his, his people in the Decapolis and started to share the story of what, what Jesus has done for him. And the people are amazed. It transforms that entire region. The power of a person experiencing what Jesus did changed an entire region. You're no different from him. Maybe you haven't been full of demons. But God's done something in your life and the power of that story when you share it with someone else can touch the life of someone else too. And there can be a chain reaction where suddenly someone says, well, tell me more about this Jesus that you've got. Well, now you've got some tools that you can actually start to say, you know what? Pastor Gary preached this tall-time series and I've got some things that I can do and I can enact in, in this conversation I'm about to have. In John chapter 4, verses 39 to 42, as Jesus talks at length with the woman uh, from Samaria by the well, many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the wo- woman's story about her experience with Jesus, of meeting him. And then many became believers after hearing Jesus for themselves. Neither the man who was delivered from demons nor the woman from Samaria had any training or discipleship. They simply told others about the amazing encounter that that they had with Jesus. They didn't spend four years at Bible college to be able to share their story. It's just like you, when you go to a restaurant where you go to maybe a sporting event or you go to a family function and you're having this amazing time, you have no problem talking about it. I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm just saying that there's, there's, there's a difference here somewhere. And we've got to drill down on some of this stuff. Why am I reluctant to share my faith? I bet you guys are glad I'm going on seven weeks' holidays. (laughs) Has God touched your life? And who needs to hear that story? So here's the power of a story. The power of a story is fantastic. The power of a testimony, the power of, of your experience, your connection with God is a powerful story. Think about the, 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 the best sermon that you've ever heard. Can I suggest to you that it's likely that the message that most impacted you was attached to a story that the speaker said as part of their message that really connected with you. It was the story that was the hook that just nailed you for that message. For some reason, the story that the the, the person told in the message connected you in a powerful way with the truth that was being explained at that time and it touched your life. 
Many times, Jesus used the power of a story, a parable, with his disciples and the crowds. It was a powerful thing. It helped them to connect with the truth that he was trying to convey to the people, and it made it real for them. The power of a story. At 14 years of age, I had an experience that deeply affected me. Up to that point in life, I'd had two experiences with the police. Both were positive. The first experience as a small boy, I was robbed of my marbles as a child. Seriously. You, you separate from me, me from my marbles, I'm going to call the cops. Well, actually, my mum called the cops. And the policeman came. This is in England, by the way. There's an old English bobby. Evening all. What's going on here then? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Whatever you then. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Policeman went, saw this guy that bashed me, got my marbles back. I was happy. Don't separate me from my marbles, all right? In my teens, my brother and I, we both had motorcycles. Um, I'd like to tell you that we had our licenses, but we didn't. We were riding our motorcycles on land. I'm not sure we had permission of the owner. And we were doing the wrong thing. And like, as soon as you see the police, you bolt the other way on your motorbike. That's just how it was. This, this can't be real with you. This, you've probably all got stories about, oh, maybe you haven't. Okay. And we saw this policeman on his motorcycle coming and we bolted and my chain snapped my, on my motorcycle. I'm stuffed. I'm going to get caught. Policeman rides up to us and he just really casually says, guys, you know, you shouldn't be riding here. Uh, and we knew we were done. You know, I knew I was done. And he says, what's, what's the problem with your bike? And I said, I've done my chain. And uh, I, I would have been, I don't know, maybe 12, 13 years old. And uh, he says, all right, no worries, just stay here a minute. He rides off. 10, 15 minutes later, he comes back. He's bought me a new link for my chain at his own expense, and he fitted it for me. He said, guys, don't ride here. Find a place where you can ride dirt, dirt properly. See you later. I had a great experience with police when I was a young person. In May 1976, when I'm 14 years of age, my mother committed suicide. I was camping at the time in Victor Harbour with a mate. The police searched for me. They didn't stop until they found me later that evening, and I was on Granite Island at the time. And I remember them going from the different people that were fishing on this particular jetty at, uh, uh, on Granite Island, and they're saying, are you Gary Leach? And are you Gary Leach? And I'm thinking, this can't be good. And you know, he's looked down to where we are and he says, are you Gary Leach? I said, well, I might be. <laughs> really depends on what you want him for. And uh, one thing leads to another. He said, look, we've got to talk to you uh, back at the station. So I said, okay, no worries. We're getting the police car and uh, we're driving a- across the causeway back to the police station. I said, okay, guys, what's going on? I'm in the back of the police car on my own and I'm feeling very intimidated. And uh, they said, oh, your mum's passed away. And I just the first thought that came into my mind was, she's gone to sleep. <laughs> so what? It just didn't click. She'd, she was dead. Get to the police station, and they connect me with my, uh, my auntie uh, back in Adelaide. And she, as soon as I heard my auntie's voice, I just broke down. I just burst into tears. It suddenly dawned on me. My mum was dead. And I was, I was in a world of hurt. I just didn't know what to do. And... I still had to get back to Adelaide. And one of the policemen there, he says this. 
He says, mate, I can see you're in trouble. I see you're hurting. Look, I'm about to finish my shift. How about I just drive you back to Adelaide and connect you up with your parents? In his own time, no overtime, drove me, 14-year-old kid, back to Adelaide. Is it any wonder that three years later I joined the police department because I wanted to do for someone else what had been done for me? See, this is the power of a story. Because what has God done for you? What has someone done for you in your life that you want to replicate for someone else? The freedom, the peace, the, the healing. What is it that God has done in your life that you now feel that you need to share with someone else? It's the power of a story. What you've experienced, you want to do for someone else to make it real for them. So how could we share our story with others? We don't usually get a n- numerous opportunities or unlimited time to share our faith with, with people around about us. So let's consider it a privilege when it does happen. When that person suddenly says to you, you're different. Why, why, why are you different? That's a privilege at that moment that God has opened a door. The Holy Spirit has shown up in a moment where you get an opportunity to share. So how do we do this? How do we share our story with the people that we're walking with? Well, here's here's four simple guidelines that I pray that will help you. Number one, for goodness sake, be brief. (laughs) Be brief. Like just... Thirty seconds. It's an elevator story. Do you know if, if I should say it's an elevator story? Do you understand what I mean? In the time it takes you to get from the ground floor to the sixth floor, that's how long it needs to be that you tell, tell your story for. It is not war and peace. Uh, war and peace is probably a great story, but I've never read it because it's so long. We, I tried to watch the series on TV. That was too long. Jane watched off. Forget it. Be brief. Be brief. Two to three minutes, maybe a, a hundred words. Okay? Keep it short. Leave your listener wanting more. Use it as bait. Because they'll soon dictate to you whether they're going to be interested or not. Because they'll ask the follow-up question saying, well, well, why is that? How come this? How come that? And all of a sudden you know that there's a, there's a moment here that you can start to explore things. But only answer the question. Don't start to go off then in a complete, you know, theoretical uh, story treatise about, you know, the meaning of why the chariots had seven spokes. Not relevant. Okay? So just, just keep it brief. Secondly, be clear. Be brief. Be clear. Okay? Don't get weird. <laughs> They do not need to know your weird story. Uh, when they're a part of the church and have been for 15 years, then you might be able to share that story with them. But not right now. This is the moment where you don't need to weird them out. This is the time where you just need to be clear. Okay? People don't usually have the tolerance or interest to make sense of things that might have uh, had great meaning to us but are hard to understand and can quickly categorize us as a religious nut. Don't go near that Gary bloke. Weird. 
thirdly, use common language. Just normal everyday speak. Don't just break out into King James. <laughs> just, just don't. Don't use Christianese. It was by the blood of the Lamb that I got saved. <laughs> if you'd like to make a donation to my ministry right now, sorry. <laughs> Get behind me. Tell the story in such a way that it, it's understood by Christians and non-Christians. Okay? If you have to use words that we don't think might resonate with the person that we're talking to, then define casually within the, the conversation what you mean. So as an example, just simply say, it might be that you, you know, part of your story is that you're just saying that, you know, you, you knew that I realized that my problem was sin. So what I, what I mean by that is I did wrong and I lived selfishly. And I knew that God was the only answer to help me overcome that. So you've told them that you, you're living, like you realize now that you're living in sin, but you've explained it in a way that just helps to br- build a bridge, not a barrier. Just use simple, everyday, common language. And lastly, fourthly, be humble and sincere. Be humble and sincere. That means that we don't crack out our, our soapbox. I mean, like, you know, if I had the means of inventing for some people, how I could actually crack out a soapbox from a, a wallet in, in 30 seconds. I'd have the greatest invention for so many different people. You, know, you just flick open your wallet, there's a soapbox. We're ready to rock, you know what I mean? We're not arrogantly telling people everything that's wrong with their life. In humility, we're saying, this is what God did for me. I recognize the place that I was at. And I knew that there was no hope for me, but God changed my life. Christians can come across as superior, as arrogant, self-righteous. It's one of the reasons I don't have Christian stickers on my car is because sometimes I don't drive like a Christian. <laughs> so why would I live or tell a story that I don't think Jesus would say, that's how he'd do it. <laughs> it's important for us to understand the main difference between people who have found a relationship with Jesus and those who haven't. Christians know that their sin is in need of someone to save them, which means they recognize their continuous need for him. I've blown it so many times, but God is always there for me. He always picks me up. He always dusts me off. He has always been there for me. He brings that peace. He brings that hope. When I'm alone and I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's worthy, he's there with me right then in those moments. I need God in my life. That's how I am. That this, uh, understanding this can produce a deep sincerity and a humility in us as we interact with everyone, Christians and non-Christians alike. Maybe you like to structure your faith story in this way. This is a very simple way of doing it. Okay, So you're telling your faith story. Just answer these three questions in less than 100 words. All you're doing is say what we were like before we knew Christ, how we ended up placing our trust in Christ, and then how he's made a difference and how we, or maybe uh, what life has become like now that we're a follower of Christ. 
Simple. Before how we got there, now this is how I'm living. It's as simple as that. And you use that like, just bait it really lightly. And you just throw the bait out there. You don't need to, to stick like... When you go fishing, this is how I go fishing, okay? When I go fishing, I get a block of pilchards, okay? They are a frozen block of pilchards. What that means is that there's a square block, okay? So it's it's around about, I don't know, maybe uh, 12 inches that way and maybe 6 inches that way. And it's around about, I don't know, maybe 2 inches thick. And it's just all these pilchards, individual pilchards that have been frozen together in a block. And you call that a block of pilchards. Here's, Here's something I don't do. I don't get that block of pilchards and hook the whole block on the hooks. I don't chuck everything I possibly can onto that hook in the hope of getting a shark. Because <laughs> now in my luck, it's going to land right where the crabs are. And they'll just feast out on it. What I do is I take off one pilchard and I bait my hook with one pilchard. I, they, when we're sharing our story, they don't need to hear the whole box and dice. One thing, one thing they need to know, what is it, and put that on our hook, and then we cast that out, and let's see what God can do. When we think of sharing our faith, we often think about a certain formula, certain truths people need to know, or a certain prayer that they need to pray. But if we read the New Testament and explore Jesus' encounters with people who who receive salvation, we see a variety of experiences. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 2, four friends lower a paralyzed man down through the roof. Jesus sees their faith, and then he tells the man that his sins are forgiven. This guy experienced that. In Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50, after a woman has washed Jesus' feet with her hair, Jesus tells her that her sins are forgiven, and her faith has saved her. Another experience. In Luke 23, verses 42 to 43, the thief next to Jesus on the cross simply asks Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, and Jesus says he will. Someone else did that. As in all of these accounts, what if people come to know Jesus in a variety of ways, and our job is simply to be available in the conversation. That what we do is instead of depending on a formula, we trust the person of the Holy Spirit to see where he wants to take that conversation. So here's your challenge. Here's your homework for this week. And this is all in your notes. So your challenge is this. In the next two days. How many days? Okay, two days. Set aside 15 minutes. So out of 48 hours, I'm asking you to give up 15 minutes to reflect on this question. The question is this. What has knowing God added to my life? That's all I want you to do until the next bit. So journal your thoughts, listing why God has, made, has been, been worth knowing. Spend time praising God for each reason on your list. Pray and look for an opportunity to share one of those reasons on your list with an unbelieving friend this week. Don't force it, okay? Just pray and watch and re- be ready for when God opens up an opportunity. As I wrap up this morning, and whenever a preacher says that, it's never really true. All of these tools that I've spoken about in our series are not something that we have to add to our already 
full calendars and to-do lists. They are simply a way of engaging with the people around about us in what we're already doing. I've got my running shoes, my shorts and my top at the front here today. I was already running at the park run when I suddenly realised that it was an opportunity to engage with the people in my community. So I now use the 15 minutes before the park run and the time after the park run, generally to get my breath back afterwards, (laughs) but to stand around and talk and engage with the people that I know are watching me. They are watching me, and I know that they're watching me because they tell me that they're watching me. Because they come up to me and they say, I almost got you. I almost got you. They're in my age group, 55 to 59 age group. And they say to me, I've been watching you. I almost got you this time. Or they'll say, I saw your shadow trying to catch me, and I had a little bit of a speed burst because I knew that you were coming and I heard you. It's usually going, (laughs) sucking in the big ones. But I'm building relationship with these guys. How's your family this week? I remembered you saying that you're going away on holidays. How did that go? Did you enjoy yourself? What sort of stuff did you do? Did your kids enjoy that? Did your wife enjoy that? Was it fantastic? You know, like, what sort of things did you see? What do you do for a job? I'm a microbiologist. Whoa. How did you get into that? What led you to that moment where you felt like you needed to get into that as a, an opportunity for employment? I'm a geologist. Wow, that's fantastic. Whereabouts do you? I've worked down and out. Where do you live? I'm oh, just out by towards Nan. Starting to have conversations. What do you do for a job? I'm a pastor of a church. Wow, how did you do that? How did you, I used to be a policeman. <laughs> ah, how did you work that out? I've not spoken to them saying, listen, mate, you need to get Jesus in your life. You need to get saved. I've just been natural and real. I've just been me. And this series is, is, you don't have to be anyone else. You just have to be you. This series is all about giving us the tools where we can just be ourselves. But now we've got a tool that will give us confidence the more that we use it to be effective in sharing our story. It's the same when I go four-wheel driving. I love going four-wheel driving. But now I've joined a club and I can start to engage with the people around about me in a conversation. See, we share our faith in Jesus because we know that Jesus is always the answer. So that when the questions come, why do you believe in Jesus? Or what's different about you? Then we can answer that question because we're ready to do what Peter said. We're ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the power of your word today. I thank you 
that you have given us the tools that we need to be able to engage people in and around about us in a very simple but possibly life-changing conversation that will open up a door where we can share the reason that we have a hope in you. I pray for us all that in these coming weeks and months ahead that we would have more and more opportunities to be able to share with others around about us in a very simple, real, humble way with gentleness and respect about the hope that we have in you. Heavenly Father, would you create opportunities this week with our family and friends, with our neighbours, with the people that we meet in and around about us. Help us to notice people and to engage them in a low-key, very relaxed conversation. Father, I thank you for your people today, having that confidence to see greater effectiveness and fruitfulness in being able to share the gospel with people, that we could walk across a room because we know that you are a God who is worth, worth knowing. Help us to do that. Help us to be real. Help us to get the confidence and that boldness, that courage that we need to share our faith with the people around about us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.